Umpire fans and welcome to the Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Joining me on this episode is a 1991 Baseball Canada International Champion, current member of the Baseball Canada Umpire Program, and a bad guy turned good guy, Blaise LeBay. Topics we look to cover are his championship experience in 1991, going from playing at a national championship to umpiring at a national championship and his secret to working with catchers. So sit back, relax, get ready. It's coming. Hello, baseball and umpire fans, and welcome back to another episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Well, what can I say? The last guest we had here on the leading edge was right out of Mendoza, Manitoba, went to the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, China, and has done over 30 Baseball Canada National Championships. Well, 31 to be exact. But his name is Ron Suchuk. What a fantastic opportunity I had to share his stories here on the leading edge. It was such an honor to hear what it was like to umpire professional baseball, Here are some stories from his trip to Beijing, China, as well as just some stories from around the Baseball Canada circuit and what he likes to see within the Baseball Canada program. But I'm not going to try to pull any wool over your eyes or give you any bias. Here's an excerpt from that last episode with Ron Suchuk, and I'll let you judge for yourself. Larry Walker comes out to first base, and he goes, Ron, I'm Larry Walker. Because, I mean, he does, he's a, he's a professional. He knows. I go, Larry, I worked you in 1984 at the <laughs> World Juniors in Kindersley. And he goes, the look on his face was priceless. I worked a lot with Nelson Diaz, who was a Cuban. And you think that you're going to get rich. Doing amateur athletics in Canada, you are nuts. So enjoy the experiences and and have that kind of fun. Both A.J. Hinch and Aaron Boone were at the 91 World Championships in Brandon. You think when this kid signed his 250 million 10-year contract <laughs> that Alex Rodriguez would have paid me back? It was the it was the most bizarre thing, and I'm going, this is nuts. Swing the bat, you big baby. They don't want to sit there and be bored. They want no. to be active. They want right. to do, and we need to we need to teach our instructors how to engage, you know, the younger people, and then as they progress, how to engage more experienced umpires. I want to be the guy. I want to give back. Well, when it comes to the Baseball Canada National Umpire Program, Ron Suchuk is a man that definitely does give back. He gives his time, effort, and energy. And once again, I would like to thank him for coming on the Leading Edge here and giving back his time to share some of the stories with me and the listeners. So if you haven't heard it yet, please go check it out. You can find it on Podbean, Spotify, Apple iTunes Podcast, Google Podcast, you know, all those cool places where you can find your favorite podcast. Like I said before, if you're listening to this one, you probably know where to go, so I won't bore you with any more details. Now, I've said it on previous episodes, and I might as well say it again. The reason why this podcast was started was to celebrate the stories and achievements of umpires right across this land. As Ron Suchuk quoted Sir John A. Macdonald, who once said, from sea to shining sea, that's what this country offers. And as umpires, whether you're in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, Fredericton, New Brunswick, Cavendish, PEI, Prince George, Prince Rupert, British Columbia, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Trois-Rivières, Quebec, you're part of the umpire family. 
And when one umpire does well, we all do well. I say that because this week, after 53 years, St. John's Newfoundland umpire Carl Lake has decided to retire and pack the mask and indicator away for one last time. Carl worked his last game at St. Pat's Ballpark in St. John's, Newfoundland on Tuesday, September 1st. It was an emotional time for him and his close-knit umpire family. Now, an interesting way I found out that Mr. Lake was retiring from umpiring is I turned on the National Air one night, and here's a minute and a half segment on Carl Lake after 53 years of umpiring and giving back to his community as a local umpire and a grassroots mentor and a guy that just really appreciated local sports. That is the whole purpose of this podcast, is to really celebrate people's stories and get them out there. So I think that when we have fantastic opportunities to broadcast and showcase some umpires right across this country, we take them. If you would like to take a look at that clip on the National, you'll find it right in the show description like you have in the past. You know what to do. Click the link and watch it. So one more time. Carl Lake of St. John's, Newfoundland, congratulations after 53 years of umpiring on your retirement. Now, just remember, because you're retiring from an on-field umpire does not mean that you leave the umpire family and you will always be recognized as part of the umpire family across this great country from sea to shining sea. Okay, now that the intro is done, it's time to get to the real reason why you're here. So without further ado, I'm proud to bring on member of the 1991 Baseball Canada World Youth Championship team and the only Baseball Canada team to ever win an international championship, current member of the Baseball Canada National Umpire Program, and the only person I've ever met that dips their salt and vinegar chips in ketchup, Blaze LaVey. Blaze, welcome to the Leading Edge. Hey, Phil. Thanks for having me, man. How you been? I've been great. It's been a long summer, winter, but you know what? We're getting by. Yeah, same here. Same here. It's been a beautiful summer, though, but it's definitely been different without being at the ball diamonds, you know, 100 times or so. Well, a guy like you, you have quite the baseball playing resume and umpire resume, so it must be a change in your day-to-day life. What have you been doing to keep yourself busy? Uh, you know what? Kind of finding some, uh, you know, some, some different hobbies. I had surgery at the end of February, and uh, so I was kind of down and out for COVID regardless. So um, it didn't really change a lot for me. So it, it's been about kind of getting healthy. Um, started mountain biking. Uh, really, really enjoying that. I get out pretty much every day now and, and hit the trails and hit the streets and, and, and just ride. Um, it's been great for my rehab and, and great to kind of get back into shape. Also golf. I bought my first set of golf clubs like three weeks ago, started playing and, uh, games come along pretty good. So finding some other things to do instead of being the ball diamond, but, uh, I sure miss it. I, I miss kind of getting out there you know, for some of the real good baseball. Never would have thought that mountain biking would be great rehab for a vasectomy, but what do you say? <laughs> it is, you know, I just have to have a nice padded seat and then and then it's fine, right? The extra padding. Gotta love the old Canadian tire gel seat cover. You went from hitting dingers years ago. We'll talk about that in a bit to hitting long drives. How are you in the golf course? What's the handicap at after three weeks? Uh, well, the handicap's my, my swing, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> my uh, my splice is something to behold, but I'm uh, kind of getting a bit of a handle on that. Hitting the iron's good. I played just a local kind of, I guess, 
full-size course here and shot uh, 91 the other day. So not so bad for being at it less than a month. A lot of, a lot of things to go through, though. Man, that game, I like sports where when you get frustrated, you can kind of take it out on something or hit something harder. But I, I found quickly that the harder you try and hit that stupid little ball, the worse things go. So it's it's, it's been a quick learning curve, but uh, I'm enjoying it. It's uh, it's just nice to get out, and, and there's so many beautiful courses around here. So it's it's been kind of a fun new hobby to pick up. Yeah, BC is known for their golf courses. But 91 in the front nine, that's not a bad score. Lots of <laughs> Bad, right? Right? And that's why I packed it in, right? My arms got tired, so I figured, ah, you know, I'm not going to keep this going. Like, I can, I can only take so many hacks. I agree with you. I want to get my monies out when I'm there. Well, they say about 50% of people shoot under 100 on a skilled golf course. So if you're in the top half of golf, that's nothing to shake a club at, if you know what I'm saying. A couple guys out there in BC, I think Steve Butang has a history of golf, and Ron DePaul's and Ron Suchuk, they all hit the golf course. So maybe you can hit those guys up and ladies up for some great tips. Uh, you know what? Hopefully by next season, you know, when we're uh, if I up doing some games with them somewhere, hopefully I can get out and and not embarrass myself. Uh, I, I definitely don't want to lose to Butang. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> I, I just kind of think that playing golf less than a year and beating him would probably make the volcano erupt. So I, it's kind of a bit of a goal that I'm going to shoot for. He's probably going to kick my butt now that I say that, but uh, you know, we'll find out. Always got to have goals. Now, before we get there, are you a righty or a lefty? Uh, I'm a righty. Okay, you got right things working for you. You wouldn't know it. Like sometimes when they take a swing, it's like, you know, I might as well just try the other way. Like the ball just goes way in the wrong direction. But I find if I play a course that's open enough and you hit the driver two fairways over, then at least if I can see the green, I can get back at it with a good iron shot. So that's where the game's at right now, anyway. Well, you got the lingo down. I remember my first year of playing golf. I shot right off the tee, but it seemed like I was always up against a tree. So trying to always just hack it out left handed. Yeah, that's no good. It's, you know what? You got to give it a little bit of foot wedge bill every now and then, right? Like you're not a pro, so don't be shy about just kicking it away from that tree and taking a hack. Well, a guy by the name of Trevor Stoiko, otherwise known as Uncle Gus, he has Uncle Gus's rules of golf, and sometimes the ball just ends up where you want it to go. <laughs> I like that. That sounds like a pretty good rule. Yes, it is. Now, moving away from the golf course plays, let's get into the reason why you're here. Leading edge umpire stories. Traditionally, we like to allow the guests the opportunity to really defend themselves on the playing side, but you have quite the resume and history as a player, so really. Before we get into your big accolades, let's start at the beginning. Share with us where you grew up playing minor baseball. Uh, so I grew up in Kamloops, British Columbia, big baseball town. Pretty much right from right from jump, I think eight eight nine years old. I just uh, I just loved the game and was pretty much you know nonstop at the field. Played there all, all the way until kind of got into high school, and then there wasn't kind of a program there that I. That was really going to help me move forward. The you know the PBL wasn't into BC yet, uh, so I actually moved to Penticton for my grade 12 year, and they had a high school team that played uh, across the border and played in a league with a bunch of American schools. So I went and played there in grade 12 and and finished off my high school career there. It turned out to be obviously a bit of a springboard to to make in Team Canada and to um, you know to get the scholarship. Blaze, let's go back. Is Kamloops a Baseball Canada affiliate town, or is it a Little League town? Uh, no, it's minor baseball. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Baseball Canada. It is a great facility there now. Um, you know, MacArthur Island has, I want to say, you know, maybe 10 diamonds, um, oh, wow. all the way from T-ball up to, to two full-size diamonds. When I go back now for tournaments to umpire and you look at what they've done to the facilities, it's obviously you get jealous because, you know, they're all fully fenced and beautiful fields and are in cap. Whereas back in the day, everything was kind of just wide open, you know, three bases in a mound and let's go. But you kind of look at it now going, shoot, where was this when I was playing? But it's good to see now for the kids what they've done with it and the money that they put into it is, uh, it's, you know, it's a pretty top-notch facility. Well, when you started playing baseball, you just wore a helmet with no <clears throat> ear flaps. Now they're wearing ear flaps right down to their chin. So the game has changed significantly. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's one of many ways that has changed, that's for sure. Now, speaking about a helmet with no ear flaps, what position did you play? Uh, so I kind of played all over growing up. Um, but once when it came time to kind of get serious and choose a position, um, I was a catcher. I just loved the action. I just loved uh, being part of it. I mean, I would play anywhere, but uh, you know, being out in the outfield wasn't really for me. I, I just liked the uh, everything about the, you know about catching position, just kind of being right in the middle of it all, getting dirty and and getting sweaty and working with the pitchers and working against the hitters and get after the other team hitters a little bit. And uh, it, I loved everything about it. So once it kind of came time, we went to get to be like you know fourteen, fifteen, and you got to pick a kind of folks at a position. That's it was a, it was a no brainer for me. Well, you didn't want to play the outfielder, being an outfielder by trade. I got to say they put the smartest guy out there so usually they keep the lesser smart ones you know on the outside of the foul lines just close to the- <laughs> yeah yeah the real smart in the outfield go get the ball you're basically just golden retrievers with a glove on aren't you in the outfield yeah but it's it's skill and it's intelligence you got to know where that ball's going to be hit you just right. know it's yeah, going to those- get thrown at you every time you don't know where it's going <laughs> yeah you got me there those those three times a game the ball comes out to you you really got to be ready and really got to know where it's going well, if you have a good catcher and a good pitcher, it might not be three. It could be one. It shouldn't none. be out there at all, right? Yeah, right. No, that's true. It's true. I guess. Okay, I'll give it to you. You got a smart catcher. It makes the outfielder look smarter. Well, you look around, look at the big leagues, and look at all the managers right now. And they're mostly ex-catchers. You don't see a lot of center fielders that are uh, putting the lineup cards out on the show. Well, I didn't really ever see a smart general manager either, so it makes sense now. <laughs> it's trickle-down economics. Yeah, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Catchers, you know what? As umpires, we get a relationship with them. We do value everything they provide because i think we've all been there when the catcher crosses pitches right and we want to have a smart catcher yeah no it's it's important and i, I think that's something that uh i kind of use to my advantage um you know as an umpire now and, and working with the catchers is that i you know i've been there where they are you know and, and i know what they as a catcher what i liked and what i didn't like unfortunately i was a bit of a wild card as a player so sometimes uh <laughs> what i didn't like was the guy behind me but you know you, you, i kind of focus on the positives now as an umpire and, and kind of work with the work with the catchers kind of in a way that i'd wanted them to deal with me so it's it's a good relationship and it's it's a relationship that i really work at okay since you're talking about it let's reflect on it okay you say that you're a crazy catcher. Do you feel that the catchers today are as intense as they were, or do you think that there's more education and the game has evolved that it's more science-driven and the emotion there's emotion in it, but it's not as significant as maybe it was years ago? You know, I think just in general, it's it's such a different game and it's such a different mindset. The, the players now, they're, they are they seem more robotic. It's just not, I, don't, I, don't, I can't really explain. Like, if they just seem, they, they don't get into it with umpires. They're, everything they're trained at a young age now where they don't really, if they try to get into with umpires, they leave that for the coaches. Um, whereas back in the day, it was kind of, had an opinion, you voiced it. Whether, right. you know, obviously, you know, the game's better for it now, I think, right? Like, instead of the... Mm-hmm. the chaos that used to go on but more robotic i think is, is a way that i would use it you don't see the personalities that i that i kind of remember as a player you know they, they all kind of seem the same and i'm not saying that it's good or bad it's it's just different it's a it's kind of a totally different mentality that i see in the game well i know i've had this discussion with other people and maybe i'll <clears> voice it here you mentioned the field that you played on was three bags and a mound and go and now you look at these fields that these kids are playing on at the same age the game is so structured at such a young age, and I don't know if it's for the better or for the worse. It seems like practice at this time, we only practice between six and eight. We show up at this time. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. And like you said, they're being groomed at such a young age to just focus and 
you know, as a catcher, focus on everything in front. Don't worry about what's behind. Yeah. You know, I think it's like you, you nailed it when you say how, how structured everything is. And, uh, you know, we're in the age now too of, of too much specialization. Oh, yes. Um, that's something that I, I hugely, I just don't agree with what people are doing with their kids now, you know, making them, you know, just focus on one sport 12 months a year. It's just not good for them. I mean, you know, it's like you know, when you, you played ball in the summer, then you played football in the fall and you played, you know, hockey or basketball in the winter and you, you might squeeze in some rugby in the spring before you start playing ball again. It's, right. I think it's just, you know, physically for their development, uh, such a better model than just picking one sport and playing it all the time. You know, it's, it's, it's frustrating to, to see, you know, but it's becoming more of a business, right? Look at these indoor <laughs> yes. facilities. You and I growing up would have loved to have an indoor facility like you see now. You know, on the other hand, I, I don't agree with, you know, kids being in there 12 months a year. So it's kind of, uh, you know, there's, there's good and bad. Back then, players were just allowed to kind of be athletes instead of being like everyone else. Everyone, you know, you had a little bit of way in doing things and, and different ways of doing things. And uh, the real athletic people kind of, thrived, I think, thrived a little bit more back in the day. Yeah, you definitely probably seen a lot of natural ability. I see, I got to say it, I was on the social media the other day, and there's a business advertising exit velocity for 10 u baseball like what's the exit velocity slower than it's coming in i don't know yeah and, and honest to god somebody breaking it down and saying what division one universities are looking for for exit velocity out of a 10 year old yeah it's, it's nonsense it's it's uh you know it's but someone's making money off that right and someone's making yes. money off having the uh the ability to to gauge that in their batting cage and, you know, that's that's yeah. how they're fooling these parents to get in there and spend money. So, uh, you know, it's not going away anytime soon. I'm, I'm 100% with you on, on, on the frustration, and, and I just don't – I don't see the point at it. At some point, uh, you know, we're losing sight of just letting kids go and play sports, right? Go be kids. Go play sports with your friends. Have a good time. And, uh, you know, I really think that in a lot of ways we're losing sight of that. Couldn't agree more. I think that baseball is more a game of shoots and ladders than it is chess because – you're going to have a good day. You're going to have a bad day. You're going to have ups and downs. You can't expect it to be a ride right to the top. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's move on. You played your minor baseball in the interior of BC. Did you have any opportunity to go and play in any provincial championships or national championships? Yeah, obviously we, um, you know, pretty much every year you coming from the interior, it was either Cantaloupe or Kelowna playing off to go to the provincial. So if we didn't go one year, we'd go the next. You know, it was a, kind of always a battle to get out of the zone and uh, and get down to the provincials. Back then, you know, the the teams from the coast were obviously had a lot, uh, you know, a lot more people to choose from and you know Camels and Clone are both smaller you know half the size that they are now so we had a smaller base but we'd always compete when we got down there and a different brand of baseball sometimes but it's kind of like every second year you're at the provincials and, and getting after it I don't think I actually made a national championship uh, I think my first one was probably the selects tournament which is what's now called Canada Cup but yes. that was the first time I actually ever I'd been to a western uh, I believe in Bantam but that was the first time I actually got to go to a national championship and played you know with teams from across the country where was that Selects tournament or Canada Cup tournament? Well, ironically enough, since uh, you and I were both at Canada Cup in Regina this past year, I was in Regina. It really? Uh, kind of came full circle from from a player to an umpire and, and had my Canada Cup in the same spot on the same field. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, if you like Regina. City that rhymes with fun. <laughs> I like that. How did you make out at that championship? We um, we lost to Ontario in the final. We had a real good team. We we had a battle against Quebec in the semifinal and came out on top there. And, and then we lost to uh, we lost to a strong Ontario team uh, in the final. You know the Ontario team was basically made up uh, probably close to half of what ended up being our national team. So yeah. they were a good club. You know there was I think only two of us from BC actually made Team Canada. So 
you know, it was, uh, it was, it was good to make it to the, to the finals, but uh, we fell short. That sport, somebody got to win, somebody got to lose. That's why we're out there. Yep. And yeah. I mean, one time Ontario used to be a powerhouse in baseball and I'll still say they're up in the upper echelon, but I don't think they hold that powerhouse anymore. And maybe some of the statistical analyses and everything that goes on in everybody's basements has helped other teams advance in the game. Was that an 18U or a 19U at the time? There wasn't there a time when they decreased the age later? Yeah, I believe it was U19 because the, and the world championship was U19. So, um, yeah, so I think Canada Cup now is 17, right? 17U, I think so, yes. Yeah, so yeah, it was, it was a little bit older. Like, and basically, it was uh, if you were a high school senior, you were eligible right. to go. Um, and even some guys, I think, with an early birthday, if they were already right. graduated, they were they were eligible as well. There were some big boys there, I can imagine, because at one time too, I believe Canada Games used to be a twenty-one U tournament. So, yeah, well, the year I played Canada Games, it was it was U twenty-one, and um, that was that was incredible. The, the baseball there was. <laughs> yeah, the, you know the funnest tournament side probably probably one of the best baseball experiences i've ever had just the canada games was uh was pretty special it was uh and it was in my hometown which uh i don't know if that makes it good or bad because you kind of like to go and see other parts of the country but uh it was also you know kind of pretty cool having all the friends and family there and uh and you know playing canada games in my in my home city was uh was a real good time yeah sometimes you look for the trip but sometimes you look and reflect back and go hey it wasn't that bad no not at all so let's move on from your national championship playing days and really get on to maybe, maybe I'll say it, you said a highlight of your career, but 1991, you get the opportunity to play for Team Canada at the World Youth Championships in Brandon, Manitoba. Fill us in with how you got there. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's obviously different than what you see with the junior national team now where, you know, they have their, they do a trip to Florida, they do a trip to the Dominican, and, and, and they're kind of together for a long time. Back then, it was you go to the selects tournament, and from there they kind of pick out the top forty guys that they want to take to to go to a training camp, and uh, from there they pick the national team. And uh, we went from Regina, and we hopped on a bus and went to Kindersley, Saskatchewan for <laughs> I believe it was ten days of camp. Uh, we played in a, as part of the camp there. We played in a tournament with um, with a bunch of the SBL, the old uh, Saskatchewan baseball league teams. Yep some pretty wild memories. I mean, Kindersley, Saskatchewan is, is quite a place in the middle of the summertime. Yep. One thing that I remember from that is, is on the bus from Regina to Kindersley, you know, it was dark and, and all of a sudden the bus just pulls over and I kind of look up the, the aisle and, and I see the bus driver reach underneath his uh, seat and he pulls out like a snow scraper and it's just July. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking that's odd. And he gets out and you look and he's literally scraping mosquitoes and bugs off of the front of the yes. <laughs> of the bus it was so bad and i i mean it've been around mosquitoes but i never seen anything like but uh you know what we had that summer in saskatchewan i you know i can remember um during the games of the tournament in kindersley they had an old pickup truck that had a sprayer on the back and like every third inning they would do a lap of the field and just spray just to try and keep the mosquitoes down so um you know that's <laughs> that was that was quite a time something I hadn't really been used to, but um, you know something when you're playing you kind of just get over it. But uh, so yeah, we're in we're in Kindersley and and you have your training camp there, and uh, from there they you know they basically selected you know the, the 18 guys they wanted to be on Team Canada, and uh, and the way we went from there, um, you know we had a few days, uh, you know actually I think we had about a week where it was just the team, and um, and then off we went to Brandon. Okay, so you say you're heading up the road to Kindersley, Saskatchewan, right? 1984 that's the host of the world youth games and one of our right. last guests is ron chuchuk and he had the opportunity to be at that tournament 
Kindersley, we talked about communities around baseball in Canada. Kindersley is a baseball community, obviously, supporting the old Saskatchewan uh, SMBL League or Saskatchewan Pro, semi-pro league. So what was it like coming from the Canada Cup up to play these men, essentially? So for me, it wasn't a, a big deal because I had, you know, I'd played with our senior team in Cantaloupe's with the senior men's team um, for the first time when I was 15. So okay. uh, I'd kind of, I'd been used to that. I, I can't speak for everyone else, but you know, when you're playing with them is one thing. So, you know, it is a little bit different than, than playing against them, but you know, we, um, you know, as it, as it bore out, we had a pretty good team. So, uh, yeah, you know, we, did. we held our own with these guys and, and uh, you know, we weren't getting pushed around by any stretch, but uh you know, it was just kind of cool because the, the level of baseball in that Saskatchewan league was good, man. Like these, um, these teams that were there were not, you know, they weren't just a bunch of guys kind of you know, drinking beer before the game and then going run around like these, they were taking it serious. The, the Kindersley team was hugely supported. You know, a lot of our games, obviously, you know, there's a, it felt like the town was there and uh, the whole tournament was supported well. So it was a great experience. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it was, I, I really kind of, you learn a lot. Like you said, it's different when you're playing against a whole team of men, but you, you know, you kind of, at the end of the day, they throw the ball over the plate and we take a hack at it. So that's yeah, baseball. That's why I always kind of looked at it. No, that's baseball. And we'll talk about it in a bit, but some of the players that were on those respective teams back there in the, it was a semi pro league at essentially it's eventually morphed into the Western major league baseball. And now it's the Western Canadian baseball league. It's, changed where the eligibility criteria are a little bit different but they used to be players coming up from the states there used to be players coming from all around canada and we'll talk about it in a bit but there was some national baseball institute players playing on some of the respective teams at that time too but like i said we'll talk about that but you mentioned that you're getting on the bus now and you're heading to brandon manitoba who are some of the guys that you're sitting beside on the bus on the drive down uh, you know, that team is, uh, that team is pretty special. Like we, we ended up, uh, you know, we had a couple of big leaguers on that team. Um, you know, Stubby Clapp is our leadoff hitter. Uh, he's, you know, kind of made quite a career for himself, you know, yep. made it to the big leagues as a player. And then now he's kind of working his way back up as a, as a coach and manager. You know, he's been managing in the, in the minor leagues the last few years and now as a, as a base coach with the Cardinals. So he was kind of our spark plug, man. Like that, the guy, you can't say enough about what he did as a player. He was just, uh, he was just so full of fire and energy and, and as clutch as they come. <clears throat> yeah. He was our leader. He was, he was, I guess, sort of the engine that drove the whole thing. Um, also Jason Dixon from your neck of the woods. Yes. Uh, you know, who, Brunswick. who ended up, uh, you know, obviously ended up having himself a big league career and now is, uh, you know, the president of our, our association with baseball Canada. He ended up having a huge role in that, in that tournament. You know, we just had guys that were, it was, it was a, just a big athletic team. Like our shortstop, uh, Todd Betts, was just a, one of the best hitters I've ever played with. Just roped everything. Solid on defense. Jason Collins in the outfield, who was the same thing. Just big, strong, athletic guy. Uh, B.J. Richardson, our center fielder, was about 6'4". Um, real strong kid. You know, hose for an arm. It, it was just a team that it was just full of athletes. And, and, and frankly, it turned out to just be full of kids who really didn't know any better. We probably didn't know what we were getting into when we went there, and I think that served us well along the way is that, you know, the expectations weren't, you know, I think what the kids get put on now where they all know each other and, you know, there's scouting services and everybody can look at, you know, each player up and, and it didn't have that, you know, so people didn't know what to expect and we kind of just showed up and surprised a lot of people. That's the advantage of playing in 1991. Didn't have any of that technology. <laughs> right. Now you mentioned a name in there, Stubby Clap. I remember Stubby Clapp from the 1999 Pan Am games. I believe we were in Winnipeg. 
Stubby in late extra innings hit a single or something to knock in the winning runs to put Canada into the medal round. That eventually helped Canada get a bronze medal at that championship. Nothing like meddling in your home country in a big event like that. And really set Canada on the stage to do well at the Pan Am Games over the next couple of years and help develop the program. And since then, I can remember watching for Stubby up over the years. He has a pretty recognizable name, so it's really hard to miss. Yeah, absolutely. A recognizable name and a recognizable style. Like I said, I mean, he was, um, you know, the guy It got to the point towards the end of the tournament, like when we'd get introduced and he'd come out and do a backflip. You know, like he was just a tremendous player, a tremendous athlete. Like I said, you want to talk about someone who has the clutch gene. I mean, that's that's just stubby and, and like you said it continued on for into winnipeg and into his baseball canada career and his professional career he's just he's one of those guys who just always finds a way to get it done okay tell us blaze can you still do a backflip after a vasectomy <laughs> yeah no no backflips were never really uh in my portfolio i mean if i had a high enough you know a high enough uh, diving board into a pool yeah, i might have pulled one off but it's more likely going to turn into a backflop that's fair that's probably what i would do too but you end up winning the championship, become international champions. Can you walk us through what it was like representing Canada and some of the experiences that you had at that championship? It was incredible. It's, there's really no other way to describe it. It was, uh, you know, obviously for all of us, it was the first time playing against uh, teams from other countries, teams from different cultures. Uh, I know, like my me personally, I'd never flying to Regina at that time it was the first time I'd ever been on a plane. So I'd certainly never been anywhere overseas or even, you know, down to, to Mexico or the Dominican or anything like to even be around people from other parts of the world. Um, so now you're getting to, to share not only the ball diamond with them, but we're staying in the dorms together. We're in the cafeteria together, just kind of getting to meet, you know, different people from all over the place and play baseball at the same time was, um, is incredible. It's, there's really no other way to describe it. And I, I think the way that our, our team gelled and, you know, like I said, our team just didn't know any better. We didn't know that we weren't supposed to win. We didn't know <laughs> yeah. that we, we shouldn't beat Cuba. We didn't know that we shouldn't beat the United States. We didn't know that we shouldn't beat Chinese Taipei. We just played ignorance is bliss. Oh, yeah, I think sure. is the best way I put it. Just, just the experience of playing against teams like uh, even Nigeria was there and they'd never been to a world championship before. Just the excitement that you saw from those guys just to be out on the field and, well, frankly, to be, you know, in Canada was, right. was yeah. a pretty big deal. Like you've never, you've never seen anything like you would see them in the concession. I mean, uh, sorry, the cafeteria at the, at the university, like there was a full selection of ice cream and these guys would, it's the first place they'd go. They'd walk in and, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know what the upbringing is, but I don't imagine there's a lot of ice cream stands in Nigeria. Yeah. And you know, these guys would come in and drain it before they'd even have dinner. They'd, they'd grab a bowl and just pretty much grab every flavor in the bucket. Kind of just seeing different things like that. And, and just the way different people around the world, you know, and, and how they play baseball and how and how they act on and off the field and and you see the differences and yeah there's just really there's no other way to describe it other than incredible well if we're going to talk incredible u.s has always been a dominant force on the international baseball scene what was it like to beat the u.s they obviously beating the u.s you know they were a team that you know also ended up with i believe three or four big leaguers you know at that time they had a couple of guys whose parents were you know fathers playing the big leagues uh aaron boone uh greg Luzinski's son um i think they had three first round draft picks like there was it was a team that nobody was supposed to beat you know so obviously when we when we took them down was probably the one i remember the most next to the gold medal game was obviously you know beating the u.s and and, and cuba playing against cuba is a whole different ball game man it's uh it's uh it's a whole different experience that um you know, it was nothing like I'd ever seen before. So We've heard that from other umpires that have come on the show that they say that the Latin baseball is a slower game. How was it different for you as a player? 
Uh, you know, I think the the antics, like it's just there's there's always antics. There's you know, right from the start, they're out trying to to work the umpires, and and they're out trying to, you know, to just to put on a show and warm up as a show. Like everything is just a show with them. I remember being so mad at the first strikeout they got because you know everyone. As long as we've been playing baseball, the catcher comes up, you throw it to 30, throw it around the infield. The first time they got a strikeout, all of a sudden the entire team is whistling and the catcher comes up and he fires it to the third baseman who turns around and throws it to the left fielder. He throws a missile into the shortstop. He throws it to the center fielder. He throws it to the second baseman, to the right fielder, the first baseman, back to the catcher. And they're dancing and whistling and singing the whole time. I'm telling you, like, you kind of get insulted and it's almost like they're showing you up and we'd never felt it like that before. And I mean, we had guys trying to crawl out of the dugout like it was he was ready it was go time like we yeah. <laughs> I, I know personally i wanted to go and, and get after somebody you know we had our, our our pitching coach uh gary piconi was his name he was a pretty fiery guy he'd had a lot of international experience and so he you know as soon as anything started with cuban you could just see you could just see his blood boiling and you know every time they went out to talk to an umpire he'd just be fired up just you know they're trying this they're trying that and i still remember you know john our manager having to calm him down as much as calming the players down but it's, it's just different different man like they just the way they play it's uh, it's easy to get insulted put it that way if you if you haven't been around it you know they rub your face and stuff yeah that that's right go to something i'll never forget it's still almost makes me a little bit angry now even thinking about it we beat their ass so uh <laughs> you kind of at the end of the day am I, well, am I allowed to say that on here by the oh, way yeah, but I mean... <laughs> okay good you know we beat them so at the end of the day all the theatrics and all the nonsense they pulled off you know we eliminated them and, and got the last laugh there so you know i enjoyed playing pretty much all the teams there but that one I won't say I enjoyed it other than when they, you know, they, they kind of got under my skin. So it was, it was nice to send them packing. Okay, Blaze, let's put that strikeout against Cuba to bed. Tell us the story about you hitting a home run against USA in the semifinal. Oh man. Yeah. That game is, uh, that one's always going to be kind of in the memory bank. They started a guy by the name of Kenny Henderson and it was even our local paper and Brandon ran a big story on him because he was the number four overall draft pick and he turned down a seven figure contract, you know, to specifically to play in this tournament and win a gold medal. And, you know, the hype train was really rolling. We didn't get off to a good start, man. Our, our starter got shelled. And I want to say we were down like seven or eight, nothing early to be honest. Um, you know, the, the home run kind of winning the game, but really the, the hero, that one was Jason Dixon. You know, our, our starter got shelled. Uh, Dix came in and I think he threw like six, six and a third or six and two thirds of, of shuttle ball to kind of let us just chip away and chip away and chip away. Henderson got me twice. Uh, one real bad. He got me, he jammed me pretty good. And, and when I went up, uh, you know, the third time I had a couple guys on and I kind of just went up with the mindset that like, I'm, I'm not getting sawed off. I'm not letting him get in on me. And, uh, I geared up for a first pitch fastball and he threw it and I put a good swing on it. You know, it, the rest is history. I had some not nice things to say about him around the bases. <laughs> I heard about that from the coach later, but you know, the emotion definitely was, was really, really high as we were starting to get closer in that game. So to hit that one, to, to put us ahead, obviously probably the, you know, sad to say that maybe the biggest at bat of my life was when I was 17, but you know, it turned out to be a pretty big home run. So I'll, I'll take it. It was, uh, you know, it was quite a moment. I'm 33. I played 20 years of baseball. I don't have a home run, so I'm still waiting for the biggest bat, bat of my career, okay? So don't <laughs> worry about it. Singles all the way on base percentage. That's what I go for. Lead the league and hit by pitches. Where'd you hit that ball, though? Is it a right field, left field, you know, power alley? Where'd it go? 
Uh, yeah, left field, left field. Like I said, he he mowed me down pretty good. Like I, I think the the first time up, I I think I flew out, and the second time up, he he got in on me, and like it was a jam shot. It was almost almost embarrassing to be perfectly honest. I wasn't happy with myself on that one. I went up looking fastball. I mean, if he'd have thrown me a slider, changed up that first pitch, I would have looked like an idiot. But he didn't. I was looking, I was looking for it. He threw it inside. You know, it wasn't close to the line. It was probably close to the left center, but it was a no doubter. I was. Uh, did you I, watch I had it? A good look at it. We'll say it that way. Yeah. Did you watch it? You know, it wasn't 91. That's not really the nice thing to do, but. You know, I didn't stand there and watch no. it, but uh, I, I wasn't sprinting to first base. I mean, as soon as I hit it, I knew I had it. So I kind of mm-hmm. was, uh, my trot started early. I'll say that, you know, I, I, I definitely didn't, you know, stand and showboat it. No. And I didn't do it. So Batista bat toss. Maybe that would have been pretty cool if I would have, but uh, no, I, I had a good look at it. Uh, you know, I didn't stand there. But if it's a no doubter, you know what? You're allowed to take a little glance at it. Enjoy the moment because. It was the biggest bat of your career. Good look. And then uh, I believe after I ran a second base, he was kind of eyeballing me and he said something. And I just said, hey, man, kiss that sign bonus goodbye. And <laughs> well, got to third base and, and shook John Har's hand and went in. And uh, I, I heard about it after the game. John Har was not happy. I mean, he's happy about the home run, but he was not happy with uh, with that comment. I, I definitely took a bit of a tongue lashing afterwards, but it was worth it. I agree. It was worth it. You wouldn't have a story to share here today if it wasn't for that. So good job. No. Okay, take us to the gold medal game. The gold medal game, man. It was uh, it, again like we somehow we just were always just so loose. Like we we needed an upset earlier, kind of in the last round robin game. We needed an upset from uh, Australia to beat uh, the U.S. and uh, to kind of get us into the semi. And and they pulled that off. And then it was kind of like, hey, man, we're playing with house money, and and we're you know we're playing well, but like don't change a thing. And and the guys were all kind of on board with that. And I think even Stubby was guys say, let's not change anything. It's just be who we are. So we were pretty loose. I, I don't know still to this day if I've uh, if I remember a buzz at a ball diamond like I did walking in that day, you know, getting off the bus and and I think the bronze medal game went a little late, so the place was just packed already. I mean, there's five thousand people in that stadium. I don't know how much it holds, but it's not five thousand. The buzz was just something special, and uh, there was people cheering us when we got off the bus and and walking through the crowd. It was it was amazing. I never really felt nervous. Like we had such a loose attitude. We were a confident bunch, and and like I said, we we weren't expected to be there. So. We kind of really didn't have a whole lot to lose. So, yeah, I, I just remember going into that game and just being confident. You know, Chinese Taipei was good, but, you know, we'd beaten Cuba, we'd beaten the U.S., we'd, you know, we'd beaten all the other top teams. So, there wasn't any reason why we couldn't beat these guys. We got a great pitching performance from uh, Danielle Brabant uh, out of Quebec. He actually hurt himself. I want to say it was about the, the sixth inning. He went down in a heap. Right, like we believe it was tied at that point. We might have been up one, and and he threw a pitch, and I I can still hear like kind of a scream, and you know, like as I catch the ball and look out there, and he's just lying there on the ground, and uh, so obviously you know go out and, and his arm shot. He's got to come out of the game, and we brought in Jason Birmingham, who had been one of our starters earlier, and you know he was. He, he just dominated and you know we got some clutch hits um you know, i believe bets we got a double that put us ahead and then uh fellow maritimer troy croft came up and hit a big fly in the eighth inning to, to kind of give us an insurance run you know we went out for the ninth and and uh you know i actually just watched the video the other day we went out for the ninth and the place is just going bananas with literally every pitch you know i kind of just felt like we had it you know i wasn't there was no nerves. There's no worries about blowing it. You know, Birmingham was dealing, and uh, our defense all tournament had been incredible. You know, with Betts and Jaylee, our second baseman, and Stubby and our outfielders. You know, everyone. We just we didn't make mistakes. We didn't kill ourselves ever to finish off that game. Was just confident that it was going to happen. You know, we just kind of went out and closed the door, man. It was it was a pretty cool feeling to go into a game like that 
uh, at the start of the tournament, no one would have predicted that we were going to be knocking off Chinese Taipei in the final. But by the, as that game was going on, there was no doubt in our minds that we were going to take it home. So that might sound a little cocky, but that's just that's just the feeling that we had, and I and I think uh, that's what carried us. You know, that's what got us to the, you know to the title is just the confidence in each other. Well, when the train's rolling, you got to jump on, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, as you've mentioned, the tournament was hosted in Brandon, and going into that championship game, I believe the championship game was played at Andrew Stadium. Now, that stadium holds approximately 3,500 people, but Baseball Canada has referenced in the past that there was over 5,000 people at that game, so that place definitely was rocking. It must have been quite intense as a 17-year-old. That's all I got to say. Another guy you mentioned in there, Daniel Brabant. Daniel Brabant in 1991 was the Tip O'Neill Baseball Canada Player of the Year. He is the only amateur baseball player to ever win the award. Typically, year after year, I mean, there's been names on there. Terry Poole, Larry Walker, Jason Dixon, Rob Butler, Corey Kosky, Eric Gagne, Jason Bay, Joey Votto has won it every year. James Paxton, Mike Soraka, Justin Morneau. Like, he's in a class of another class of players, and he won it being a pitcher with the 91 World Youth Championship team. Yeah, and you know what? It's, it's such a great story. And and you want to talk about a guy who literally left everything he had on the field. That's that's him. Like He, he had, uh, I think, two or three starts early in the tournament and, you know, was dominant. He was just absolutely dominant all the way through. And he was uh, he was he was sailing that game. And literally, I don't know how long he was hurting because obviously there was a language barrier and, and uh, we could talk about baseball. You couldn't get into too many things. You know, if he if his arm was sore for two innings, he certainly never told me or any of the coaches. Right. He so I have no idea how long it was was bothering him, but the guy literally left it all out there. Like we literally had to drag him off the field. So you know, kudos to him for winning that. And and obviously, you know, we don't win that championship without him. Well, his Wikipedia story states that he was the starting pitcher in the gold medal game, where he pitched a four hitter through five and two third innings before collapsing on the mound. So, like you say, he left it all out there on the field. Yeah. yeah. He was also named the tournament MVP. But here you are asking him to throw deuces and sliders and everything else. <laughs> Hey man, I wasn't calling pitches back then. We had a, that's what our pitching coaches for. We just, I was just I was just basically relaying the message. That's all. Excuses, excuses. But what was in his arsenal? Like, what was his magic? Do you remember it? Um, he had like a you know obviously a fastball had good movement on it and it and a good changeup, but he had a really good curveball, like a kind of a more of a twelve six than than like a slider. Like he came right over the top of that thing. And, you know, especially in the night games, it was it was tough, and and you know hitters just had a hard time picking it up. And you know that's I think what just made him so good. And then his fastball had some nice movement on it. So we had we had a lot of those guys on that staff. And uh, well, I'm going to ask you then. I'm going to cut you off here. Coming back from the Miramichi, and there could be a few Miramichi listeners. What did Jason Dixon have as a 17, 18-year-old? You know, the biggest thing I remember going back to that American game, the biggest thing Jason Dixon had was, like, uh, he that was fearless, man. Like, going into that, um, you know, he hadn't started any games. He was he was just a bullpen guy. You know, this is young Jason Dixon before, obviously, right. you know, sprouted and became a big leaguer. I, the one thing I'll always remember that game is he was just fearless and stubborn. Like, he just would not give in. Right. Like he just did not throw any pitches for them to hit. Like his, he, it was basically just fastball slider, a little bit of a changeup. But I mean, he just, he was challenging hitters, but he was not giving them anything good. Like was, everything was on the corners. You know, we didn't, he didn't walk anybody. He just did not back down. Like it was just, it was a tremendous performance. Like I said, he was just, he was fearless. He was just, he was everything that we needed because, you know, being down seven or eight rounds or whatever it was, we needed someone to, to hold him at bay as we chipped away. And and that's exactly what he did. And like I said, the, so the biggest thing that he had was just his guts, man. Like he, he didn't back down. He challenged, he, he did exactly what needed to be done. You know, he's truly the kind of the hero of that tournament in my 
eyes because if we don't win that game, we don't get into the medal round. So, As the old adage goes, you can't win unless you're in. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure with your fantastic catching skills, you must have stolen a few pitches on the outside corners there a couple times, eh? <laughs> I, let's go with that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm willing to say that. It, it's not like now where you, uh, things analyzed and everything's done by video. I mean, I was just a big, strong kid who loved to put the gear on. And, and I was decent at receiving, but I'd, I'd gotten to the team you know, with, uh, with my hitting and, and with my arms. So, but you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to agree with you and say that I, I picked at least three or four and, and turned balls into strikes. Let's go with that one. Now, Blaze, I don't want to get away from you as a player, but let's go back to the tournament. Our last guest, Ron Suchuk, 1991. He tells us he goes to international championship. You're there. He's there as a player umpire. It's quite the relationship now that you've met Ron as a umpire yourself. What What's it like reflecting back on it? Yeah. You know what? I mean, I guess, first of all, I want to just say kind of like a, a sarcastic thanks to you, Phil, for bringing me on the podcast after probably, you know, the most accomplished Canadian umpire of all time. Uh, no pressure at all, right? No, like, none. Uh, I believe he's been called the uh, Canadian Joe West, is it? So, Well, that's why we're calling this episode the seventh inning stretch, because after having a couple of big names with Jim Cressman and Ron Suchuk, we need to break, we need the stretch, we need to take a few irons out of the fire, okay? So... I wouldn't take too much offense to it. You are an international champion after all. Yeah, well, fair enough, because, I mean, you can bring them on and talk about his 31 nationals, I think it was, and, and I've yeah. got, what, two or three, I think. So <laughs> thanks for that. But no uh, I believe, you know, Ron Shutuk and also uh, Donnie Haas from BC was, uh, they were the Canadian umpires there. And, and you know, at the time, I, I don't think I would have really, really yeah. remembered, you know, maybe during the games, uh, they would have never been on our plate anyway. So funny enough, you know, I think maybe four or five years later, I'm playing in a, a senior Western somewhere, some small town in in Manitoba and uh and sure enough get out for a game and and uh there's Ron right away he's like hey as soon as he heard my name he's like you're a Brandon and of course you know the stories go from there and right the guy I don't think he forgets anything right? no, like he does not you're right Blaze that is one thing Ron Suchuk does not do he does not forget people places times or events that's why we call him Uncle Ronnie yeah, he really is. So, you know, getting to know him now a little bit and actually, you know, getting to be on the field with him a couple of times and uh, you know, to have him as a supervisor at our national clinic. You can't say enough about the guy. He's just, he's tremendous. He's as good as it gets when, as a teacher, you know, being on the field with him is just an absolute joy. So it's kind of cool to be able to, to share that with him. And, and also, you know, Don Haas, who, who doesn't umpire anymore, but he was, uh, I remember him fondly from my playing days because obviously in BC, he probably doesn't remember me fondly, but I, I remember he was an umpire. He's a, he, was a, he was an excellent umpire and, you know, getting to know him when I kind of got back into umpiring, just a solid guy and, and uh, someone who I think we really miss out here on the field. You say that he would not remember you finally. Why are you saying that? <laughs> so who put you up to that question? Is it Rob or uh, uh, D? We have an anonymous tip line, a 1-800-888-TIPS or whatever. So crime, <laughs> crime stoppers. We got to put a stop to this crime here. You know what? I think I was a bad guy as a player, man. I was, there's really no other way around it. I was a kid who was just far too intense for my own good. I did not know how to control it. If there was going to be an incident with the other team. I was happy to be kind of leading the charge on that. If there was going to be uh, someone to drive the umpires crazy, I was, you know, happy to be that guy. <laughs> Looking back now, I'm obviously, I'm not, not proud of it. And, and I don't think there's any doubt that it probably hindered my uh, long-term career in the game. But yeah, I was, I was a bad guy. There's, there's really, there's really they know what I said. I mean, I wasn't always like that, but um, I had about as short of a fuse as you could get as a player, and I, I think a lot of umpires are probably happy to see me retire. Well, I don't like to reveal my sources, but Rob wants me to ask you about the time that he ejected you. <laughs> well, 
See, I get a lot of flack for that. You know, like I, I grew up actually playing against Steve Boutang. And then obviously Rob was kind of just started getting an umpiring as I was, you know, as a high level player. I get a lot of flack for, you know, for chirping and for being a pain in the ass. At the end of the day, I think I was really just trying to help them. Right. Because right. everyone looks at it now and, you know, you see it's it's not it wasn't the Steve Butang and the Rob Allen that have been to endless international tournaments and won every award and everything. That's not the guys that I had to deal with. I got, you know, if you picture like the young up and coming, you know, cocky kid in every area who's got potential to be a great umpire, that's the Rob and Steve that I dealt with. So everyone's just, you know, how, how could you trip Rob? How could you trip Steve? Well, it's not the guys that you see now. So, you know, I've had a lot of suggestions for them. Uh, you know, I think I gave them a lot of constructive criticism on their strike zones. So really, I kind of think in a way I deserve thanks from both of them, you know, for kind of helping them, helping them learn to deal with difficult players, uh, helping them work on their strike zone, you know, and being told when it was garbage, you know, so I, I kind of feel like I, as much as I deserve to get crapped on for, for being a bad guy, I think they kind of owe me some thanks for how they turned out as umpires. What do you think? Well, when you put it that way, that really does make sense. They wouldn't have got where they got without putting up with people like you. And look at Rob. He used to go umpire places, not even wear umpire pants, like shorts and just right. uh, and softball right. umpire like, pants. I mean, like, really? Like, come on. You can't show up like that. But no. the time he did toss me was pretty good. I mean, it was uh, it was during the Kansas International Tournament. And I was catching and I was back there. And, and to be honest, as much as I joke, like they were both tremendous umpires even when they were young. And I really didn't have a ton of problems with them like because I kind of, you know, you respect it when you see it. Umpire was good. You just, you know, he he was kind of squeezing our guy a little bit, and and I got to the point where I had enough, and I think I held one, and it was it was a strike. Like I don't know why he missed it, but like I held it, and I mean like I caught it and I held it, and he said, I guess the was saying throw it back, and I remember just saying that's a effing strike, and that was yeah. I said it loud enough, you know, that you could hear it in the grandstands, and that was the end of my day. He made a suggestion that maybe it was time for uh, me to hit the showers at that point. Probably deserved it quite interesting i didn't think rob was that soft actually <laughs> i held it man i'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say it. And, it, and it wouldn't have been the first time because like i said I, I thought he was squeezing our guy and and uh it was probably 42 degrees out and i was hot and annoyed so uh i i held it there for him to have a good look at and i deserved it there's no there's no doubt about it i deserved to get run at least you gave him a good look at it and then he got a good look of you walking away Seems like a win-win to me. Yeah, and probably a few choice words on the way out as well. There's not much you can do at that point. It's all fun and games. You must joke about that now as an umpire to umpire. And as umpires, we do respect that players will get hot and they don't agree with everything we call. But the way you handled yourself back then, that was probably the game back then. The game's changed. I think people also have to remember that the game was different back then. It was a battle. Every night it was umpire versus a team. Nowadays, it really is about letting the players play and calling everything consistently and just having an approachable manner and really only inserting yourself when you have to. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. And I think um, you know, what the, they had to deal with back in the day from, you know, and obviously it's not just me, it was a lot of guys. Like it was all over uh, the world. It was, it was, the game was just fiery. It was, you know, the, just think of all the, the stuff that used to happen around second base on slide plays and oh, the yeah. collisions of the plate and the, you know, stuff now that just, you know, just does not happen anymore. It's just been kind of ruled out of the game. Yeah, I think back to to how hard that must have been, man. Like the the crap those umpires had to do, and you, you see guys that have been doing it for thirty plus years, and think, man, those guys have seen a lot. And and kudos for them for staying with it because it certainly couldn't have been easy. Must have done something right because they're still kicking around. Well, let's bring it back to you. 
After Team Canada, you have some university or baseball Canada experience that still follows you. Where do you go? What is it? I had some chances to go down south. Like I said, John Har, who was a coach of Team Canada, offered me a scholarship to play with the National Baseball Institute, which was essentially at that time, it was the only Canadian college program. You know, it was players from all over the country. And uh, we played all of our games against American schools. You know, because it was John, I immediately kind of said yes. As soon as he offered, I said yes. It was, uh, you know, I, I think the world of that guy. He took a chance on it. On a, like I said, a guy who was uh, a bit fiery and, um, and it paid off, I think, for both of us. And so uh, to get to play for him for a few more years was was a no-brainer. And then through that, you know, I spent a, a couple summers with the senior men's national team training camp and the exhibition and stuff like that. I, it was never any of the years where there was a Pan Ams or a Worlds or anything like that. I didn't get to experience any of that stuff. But, you know, had a you know a cup of coffee for a couple summers with the, with the senior national team. But more so the MBI. The MBI was... Uh, was three tremendous years of my college career before I ended up going down south. Played in some incredible teams. At that time, the our biggest sponsor was the Blue Jays, and our last game every year was was a game against the Blue Jays, oh, cool. um, which is pretty incredible. You know, the first year in, in Winnipeg, we filled up the football stadium, and then the second year in Regina, we filled up the football stadium, and and the third year was in uh, Medicine Hat at the minor league field, and uh, we actually beat them. <laughs> That's awesome. In 93, the year they go back-to-back -back in winning World Series? No, you know what? That, that's what's amazing about those years was I like, literally got to play against them three times during the heyday. I mean, like mm -hmm. the Pat, Pat the Bat Borders, who was, who was my guy back then, obviously being oh, a catcher, no, Dave Winfield and Paul Mahler, Ricky Henderson, Robbie Alomar, like just all those incredible Jays teams, and we got to play against them three times. And, and those experiences are, are just something that I, I wish there was footage of. I wish there was now where there'd be everybody would have a video of it. And, and uh, you know, we'd be taking batting practice with the both teams. And so we'd be in the outfield, you know, BSing with Juan Guzman and Todd Stoudemire. And, you know, just it's, it was incredible. And so those, those three years were, you know, some of the best years that I've had. Met obviously a lot of real good friends through that and, and some incredible players. Now let's talk about the NBI program. Who were some of the other guys that were there? You know, the first couple that come to mind, obviously, uh, you know, Corey Kosky. He was uh, he was my roommate for for one year. Aaron Guile, who also ended up in the big leagues. Uh, Jason Dixon came out there for one year. Another fellow, the legend, actually, from your neck of the woods, uh, the Hammer. I think you guys actually back there apparently call him Hatch, but uh, John Can. John Can. Uh, no, that guy was larger than life, man. He was uh, he was just an incredible player and uh, and an even better guy. Like I just when I went out there as a freshman, he's a couple years in already, and and somebody who you just instantly looked up to, like to, both literally and figuratively. I mean, he's a mountain of a man. He's yeah, six five or whatever, but just the you know if they ever wanted to you know to kind of put a picture by the term gentle giant it's it's hammer like he was just the nicest guy he's just um so soft-spoken and just a, a, an incredible hitter you know all the years that i played and you know I, I think at one point i counted 20 or so like big leaguers that i played with or against and and countless number of guys that um you see they go away and they come back and they played pro here they play pro there the idea that john can never got a chance uh you know to play professional baseball is just is probably the biggest mystery that I've seen in all the years of baseball. Like there's not many people that ever hit a ball like that. It's uh, it's, it's, it just really shows how an inexact science scouting can be. You know, it wasn't like he was a one trick pony, like he was an athletic guy for, for a guy his size, you know, he played, you know, decent defense, but he could hit for average and, and he hit some of the farthest balls I've ever seen. I mean, just absolute moonshots, you know, so playing with him was, uh, was very, very cool. Like I said, is, is someone who also you just looked up to is, is just an all around good guy. Now this is not necessarily factual, but this is going by memory. I think I played junior baseball or 
affiliated when I was back in midget going up to junior and they still had John Can's bat in the bag. There was a bat in there that was a 36-36 or a 37-37. He swung a long that. stick. <laughs> yeah, it was a big stick. Like he, This yeah. was an aluminum bat. Like Don't get me wrong, Easton, I can remember it, yellow piping on it. But now, Blaze, there's been a story that circulated the Miramichi for years. It involves John Can playing at the Kingdome where he hits a ball to the upper deck. Were you there with him? I was, I was. He actually swung, it was the, the bat I remember him swinging. He, he had a couple different ones, and it was a 35-32 or 35-33, like just yep. enormous. Like he's the only guy that could even come close to swinging it. But yeah, I was, uh, especially the you know the first couple of years that we were always seemed to be stocked with left-handed hitters. So, yep. um, you know, being a righty who could hit, you know, I just kind of found myself, you know, kind of in the mix in the middle of the lineup somewhere. And I hit after John a lot. <laughs> and uh, so I had a very good look at that ball he hit at the Kingdome. I mean, it's, there's no myth to it, man. I mean, like he literally hit it into the upper deck of the Kingdome. It's not, it's not a story. It's not fabricated. I mean, I saw it with my own eyes. And I, I don't know that it's the farthest ball I've ever seen him hit, to be perfectly honest. Like he, was, oh, wow. he hit some moon shots. And when you're a young kid and hitting after him every once in a while, you're kind of just like, oh, man. <laughs> you're yeah, walking yeah. into the box going, is this the time that they get a little upset and I wear one? But... Here's Blaze <laughs> saying, leave some guys on base for me for a little while. I wouldn't mind some RBIs out of this. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was very cool. Playing in the Kingdom obviously was a good experience for us. Corey Koski actually kind of hit a home run that game too, and I think that was uh, kind of the one that springboarded him in his draft year. He was tremendous that game. So there's no myth to it. Whatever they're telling you in the mirror machine, like it's it's 100 true, man. I was I had, a, I had the best seat in the house for it. Well, John has been known to hit a few long shots. Miramichi, Chatham Ironman, Ironman Park National Championships. There's the stadium, then there's a hill, and there's a highway. He's hit it on the highway. He's hit it over the highway in big moments. Like he is the man. Yeah, hundred percent. It doesn't surprise me for a second to hear that he, that he's done that. Like I said, he's another guy who would not wilt under pressure, right? Like he's he kind of just he didn't know anything else besides getting the ball and getting the box and hit the you know hit it as hard as you can. And uh, and he did it more often than not. And and like I said, I, I I saw a lot of impressive swings from that man. One of those guys where you don't make the same mistake twice because if you throw the same pitch a second time, goodbye. Yeah, absolutely. And John Can and the Baseball Canada Circuit, Jimmy Rattlesnake Award winner at one time too. So Oh, was he? Oh good. Yeah. Does he still play? When's the last time he was playing? He's like you. He's hit the golf course. He hasn't played in many years. He hasn't played, I'm gonna say Oh three, oh two, oh three, maybe. Okay. Jeez, I can only imagine what he does to a golf ball. I can imagine he he hit the golf course, and once he hit the golf course, just like you, this is coming through secondhand. Once he hit the golf course, he was like, "I like this. This is good. I can do this." <laughs> yeah, I relate. I'm not. I'm not. Hate, I used to hate it. I used to not ever want to go. I thought it was boring. But yeah, I can see how people get addicted to it now. I, I think. Uh, I still think it should. You know, I think it would be a better game if it was twelve or thirteen holes. That's the new um, way they're trying to come I, with it with it now, eh? Two sixes. Yeah, that could be my attention span talking, but, you know, there's nothing like uh, getting, you know, if you're going to go for a nice walk and get a little bit competitive with the boys and maybe have a cold one or two, it's, it's, uh, I can see how people get hooked. Okay, this is one of our famous post-show edits. The reason being is I'm going to make reference to a fellow Miramichiers podcast by the name of Patty Quinn, and the podcast name is called The Run. The reason being is he brings on a guest by the name of Ryan Summers on one of his episodes. Ryan was the 1992 Newcastle Senior Cardinal Bat Boy. But on this episode, they talk about a moonshot that John Can hits against the Chatham Ironman in a New Brunswick Senior Baseball League playoff series. This home run, along with many other home runs that John Can hit in that year, went on to eventually help the Newcastle Cardinals claim their only New Brunswick Senior Baseball Provincial League title. So if you're interested in hearing more about John Can moonshots and fabled stories from the Miramichi, go check out that episode with 
Patty Quinn and Ryan Summers of The Run. Of course, like always, I will put a link to the show in my show description. So go click it, like it, share it. Now, back to the leading edge. Now, Blaze, we spent a little bit of time on your playing career, a little bit longer than I wanted, but you know what? This is an umpiring podcast, so we should get into the umpiring aspects of it. But tell us, when did you decide to hang up the cleats and stop being a bad guy and transition to the dark side? Uh, well, you know what? I did it. Uh, I actually umpired a, you know, a little bit when I was younger, 13, 14, 15. Like I said, I just loved being in the field. So if I could go down and umpire a game and play a couple games in the same day, I would. You know, So I, I had a handful of years under my belt there. After I kind of retired from playing, I was completely out of baseball for, for a lot of years. I want to say it was about, say, 2010, I think. It was, you know, I tried the coaching thing and I, you know, after I'd done playing and, you know, it was, that was all right. But I kind of, about 2010, after being away, I decided it was time to give back to the game a little bit. So looked up the umpire thing and fellow Darcy Rice was uh, someone who I'd played senior ball with here in Kelowna. Called him up and got back into it. Pretty much as soon as I started, I was pumped. I was I was loving it. It was uh, given my pass as a player. It was, you know, probably not something a lot of people thought that I would do. You know, as soon as I got going, it was something that obviously the passion being up back out on the field and, and part of the game was a huge part of it. But just, uh, you know, the whole umpiring being the game, the game that way. And, and a couple years later, getting to be part of the bigger community of umpires. Uh, I was hooked, hooked right away. So it's been about, I guess, 10 years that I've been back into it. Considering you say you had a lot of competitiveness as a player, do you find that you have that competitiveness within you to be the best umpire that you can be? Yeah, certainly a lot more controlled. But remember, this competitiveness is an umpire competitiveness. It's a bit different. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's, um, I think that also is what helped me kind of get better on a fairly quick uh, scale, so to speak, to be able to get up to start doing high level games, you know, pretty rapidly was I was always competing mostly with myself, right? Like, oh, yes. that's uh, you what know, I just pushed myself to, to gate that extra step, to, to get that better angle, to get better looks at pitches, especially when you first start out and you're doing the two-man system. You know, if, you know, if there's no one on base and the guy hits one in the gap and you think it's going to be a triple, I mean, I'd be racing. I, and I want to beat that kid there. And, and this yeah. kid's 17 years old or whatever, and I'm still thinking that I can get to the bag before he can, you know, and obviously fill my responsibilities along the way. But no, you're 100% right. You just, it was... I was just always competing to to just get better and, you know, to just provide a better game. The, you know, the reason I, I wanted to get into it was, you know, someone always umpired my games as a kid. When I got into it, I didn't know anything about the national program. I didn't know anything about the progression of things. I just wanted to give the kids in our area the best game possible. You know, the competitive side of me, you know, you're 100% right. I just push myself every every single play to, to, to try and get in the best spot possible and, and, and to get the call right. I think that's what most umpires do, and that's the benefit of having the national program, is that the program pushes people to be the best umpire that they can be. It's a continuous learning opportunity, and there's always people out there to give feedback and mentorship so that the program develops, and we are putting the best quality product on the field. Now, speaking of that, who are some of the mentors that you've had the opportunity to be working with over the years? Um, you know, first and foremost would, would be Darcy Rice, who's... Um... You know, he's, he's a solid umpire. You know, he's been to a bunch of nationals. He's kind of a quiet, not flashy kind of guy. But, you know, when I got into it, he was kind of a one-man show around here. And so he was hugely helpful to me. You know, he was the one who got me to the national program. He was the one who made sure I was doing all the certifications I needed to do and, and really got me into kind of moving on. And then, uh, you know, obviously once I did start going to some of the high-level clinics and stuff, you know, because I knew – Steve Butang from before, he's been nothing but helpful. Yeah, I, I actually think back to the first time I, I went to our, our level three clinic was at the same time as our national program. So when I went to my first level three clinic, I mean, you know, there was Steve and there was Rob and there was uh, Donnie Haas and 
Les Swain and Brian Carnelli and a bunch of guys that umpired when I played, you would have thought that they'd seen a ghost. Like, I think they probably looked and thought, this is the last guy that I ever thought would be an umpire. And the way that I was treated is, is I think, one of the reasons why I'm so proud of our program. Like, it, if I would have been shunned at that clinic and they basically told me, you know, kind of kick rocks, I wouldn't have blamed them. I really wouldn't have, like I was that much of a pain in the ass back in the day, but it was the exact opposite. They embraced, they saw that I was willing to work. They embraced me. They gave me the same opportunity that everybody else had. In fact, Brian Carnelli, who was probably my favorite umpire growing up, uh, he had just retired and he kind of pulled me aside the one night and said, Hey man, like, what do you do? What do you need? What do you need for gear? What do you like? I'm, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not on the field anymore. He lived in Merritt, which is about an hour from here. And he said, I'm in Kelowna this week. I'll bring my bag. I, I got the old school Honig's chest pad from nice. Brian Carnelli that I still wear to this day. The things nice. like I, I think it might be Kevlar. It's, it was such a, it's just such a cool system that they have. And that, that, and that was developed here in, in BC and something that I'm proud to be part of. And, um, you know, something that I, I really want to be part of going forward just for that reason. Like I said, if there was anyone who, who deserved to maybe not get an opportunity, it, uh, it was me and it was, I was given, I was given the opportunity. So I'm thankful for that and the support system that we have. Oh, and Kelly Hunter. I got to mention Kelly Hunter. You know, she's been mentioned on the right. pod before. Like she's a, uh, she's a tremendous umpire, but she's also just a tremendous person. She was my partner, in my very first game, but nice. she's still living in Kelowna. And the first time that I did the uh, Canlis International Tournament, the, you know, the Invitational Money Tournament in Canlis, I spent, or sorry, the second year, my crew was Kelly Hunter and Rob Allen. And like, that's a, you know, yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't get any better as far as mentorship goes. Like, uh, you know, if you can't learn when you're working with those two, then you're not paying attention. Kelly's just so much fun. You know, so I can't say enough about her either. Now you say Kelly Hunter. She has been mentioned multiple times here on the leading edge. She went to the 2004 Olympic Games as a softball umpire, and I think she umpired a no-hitter yeah. at that championship. Since then, she's been working primarily baseball and bringing a lot to the game. Yeah, yeah softball, and she's also done baseball internationally. You know, the the female umpires in BC, we've, it's outstanding. I mean, Rhonda Pauls, who's also been like an incredible mentor to me. I mean, the accomplishments that she's had are, you know, it's just outstanding to see. And and the, the key is that everyone in BC just looks at them as umpires, and they look at themselves as umpires. They're both inspirational, in my opinion. Like, they don't have the size, and they're not intimidating, and they don't have some of the other things that good umpires might get to use to their advantage. But, you know, neither one of them gets pushed around on the field or really anywhere i wouldn't try and uh, win any kind of an argument with either one of them to be perfectly honest <laughs> no they're highly intelligent individuals they bring a lot to the program Rhonda pauls was a guest here on the leading edge she was the president of the bcbua and if it wasn't for people like Rhonda and kelly and those that give back to the program the baseball canada umpire program wouldn't be what it is today no, you're totally right. You know, the, I can't say enough about what, you know, what they built in BC. I think as much as I miss being on the field, the thing I'm most disappointed of in the COVID thing was that uh, Rhonda invited me to be an, an instructor at their umpire academy, which is uh, um, it's a weekend where we run it kind of like our national clinic, but for kind of emerging level three guys that are, you know, going to be working into the national program. And, and we do on-field supervision and clinics and, and drills with them. And uh, I was really looking forward to that. I, I, I was really looking forward to kind of be able to to pass on what I've learned from so many great umpires. So I was, I'm, I'm disappointed probably as much as the on-field stuff that COVID took that away from us, but I'm hoping that'll be back next year. What were they going to get you to teach? The bad guy module? No, but I mean, it, it, it always seems to come up. It, it always seems to come up, right? Like at that level three clinic I was at, 
Rob came in, and I and I don't know. I can still see the look on his face when he peered in the door. He wasn't actually even instructing. He had just heard that I was there. And all of a sudden, I can still see him, like, peek his head in the door and look around and then see me. And just, like, it was almost like he had to see it for himself. Right. And then, wouldn't you know it, like, the example that they use of dealing with a difficult player. I mean, it was obviously yours truly, and, and everyone had a good laugh with it. That's so, awesome. you know, it's not something that... It's not something that I hide from in talking to young umpires. I mean, it's it's uh, something I've had to uh, some regrets that I've had to live with. So it's you know if it's a if I can use it as a teaching method, so be it, man. It's so water it. under the bridge. Yeah, you're part of the family now. But let's so, talk opportunities that you had or you've had as an umpire. Have you had the chance to work any provincial or national championships? I think I've been three or four provincials. I've been to two nationals with you. So I did yep. the uh, 2017, the Ray Carter Cup in uh, Summerside, which was just a tremendous experience. I'd never been to the Maritimes, so I was beyond excited when I got selected for that. And I think, too, the uh, we were, I don't know how if you feel the same, but I just feel like we were put in such a good position to succeed there. Um, yeah. David Cass was just such a tremendous lead supervisor for that. He's, you know, he doesn't beat around the bush, no. but he's also so laid back that he kind of just, if you go and you do your job properly and you're willing to learn, he's kind of like the perfect guy, I think, for umpires at that level. Kent Walker, Justin Snidely, Christopher Norton, you know, also our supervisors there. They were, um, I learned so much. I had uh, I had such a great time there. Like I said, I'd never been to, to PEI just to see, you know, how passionate everyone back there is about baseball, even just in the, in the town, in the area. And work with a great group of umpires it was it was a tremendous experience through my first national and like i said i think if you look at some of the guys that we had there that have now gone on and and are climbing the ladder so to speak i think you know i can point to that tournament it's uh, you know we were just we were putting in position to succeed you know and, and they had and i think a lot of guys got some good results out of that tournament i couldn't agree more blaze summerside is definitely a baseball community here in canada it has hosted many years of 13u national championships and has also put out an 18u national championship at one time it's communities like Summerside that allow Baseball Canada to put on the championships and allow people to have memories that are lifelong. Yeah, you know, and passionate about sports in general. Oh, yeah, no the, the, the facility that we went to for the banquet, like the arena and the, the rec center, I mean, the, the place is, was fantastic, you know, and the, what's there, 15,000 people in that town? I mean, I, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit bigger, but it's certainly not huge, and, and the facility that they had was top-notch, and I just think everything about it was was great. I remember distinctly getting ready for the gold medal game. We had rain during the day, things were pushed back, and I can remember, I think his name was Kelsey from Baseball Canada. The Kelsey McIntosh. Yeah, he was the tournament director, and he was in a panic because the, the game before was going on, and, and at U15, the bylaws say we can't start a game after 10. You, you know, running around, and he's, you know, hey, guys, we got to get this thing going. we got to get this thing going. Like, it was looking like that the game before was going to be done at 9.30, and he kept coming up saying, like, we got to get this thing started right away. And never been to the Maritimes. I was 100% on board because I didn't want to have to go back the next day for the rain day. I wanted to go and see the islands. Like, I my game plan was, you know, rent a car at 7 a.m. and hit the road. So, you know, I, I I very much remember him, and I very much remember, you know, starting that game at like 10 to 10 just so that, hey, we're getting that thing in. Because <laughs> right. I wanted to go and see, you know, as much as I was having fun doing the baseball thing, I also, you know, I flew across the country. I wanted to go see some things. So um, they had a tremendous day on the, on the Monday. We did get a rain day that day. I think that was the 5-6 game on before you. I was doing the consolation game in the other field, and you guys were going out. Yeah, we just, we got it in. It was, it was a fantastic tournament with memories. Now, you mentioned some of the supervisors. I think what I like the most about going to national championships is you get to get these supervisors from different areas that have never seen you. They take you in and they teach you. They teach you like you're part of the family. Like, let's get this right. 
No, yeah, no, you're you're totally right. And and like I said, the you know, for the for the level that all those umpires there were at, I think, you know, that crew was tremendous. You know, there's some you know, some guys that have been around forever and then guys like Nazi Norton who was he's just so full of energy and yes. and just so you know, so positive and so willing just to teach that you, you take a lot from that, you know, and, and, and I didn't know what to expect going to my first national right. You hear some stories of you know, you get some supervisors that, you know, might be hard and used for no reason just to just to be hard or you know, I found all four of those guys just to be you know, 100% honest with our crew the whole weekend. You made a mistake, you made a mistake, you heard about it, but they turned it into a teaching thing. You didn't just get chewed out for no reason. Yeah, you know, it was, it was a tremendous experience. I think the program's changing. I don't think that's the mentality or the model. Like at one time it was, it was all about starting perfect and losing points from there. It's definitely yeah. changed. Now I got to say, one of the guys that was at that championship by the name of Alex Laurie, he's gone on, he's signed a contract with minor league baseball, worked one year last year and was supposed to go back this year, but we all know what happened there. So, I mean, the Baseball Canada program, you never know who you're going to run into today and where they're going to be tomorrow. No different than you as a player. Yeah, absolutely. I remember, I think I worked a, I think I worked a metal round game with Alex. Yeah, he's a solid umpire. You could, you could definitely see the potential there. Yeah, I think he worked first base, actually, and you worked second base in that championship game. In the gold medal game. Yes. Yeah, that's, that sounds right. I, I remember that. I was, uh, the gold medal was Miles Brindo, yes. who was not local, but he was a Maritimes. Miles Brito, uh, right out of John Can and Jason Dixon territory, Miramichi, New Brunswick. Oh, is he? Okay. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. Miles um, has had his run in with Jason and John over the years. Put it that way. I love it. I love it. But I just, I remember him, you know, sometimes you see an umpire who's really feeling it. And uh, I love a good punch out, you know, yeah. a straight three punch out. And as the game went on, he was having a great game. And it was a tremendous game. Nova Scotia, Quebec. And, and he was having a good game. His zone was spot on, and and uh, you could kind of see he was starting to feel himself a little bit more with this with this third strike call. And he had one in about the fifth inning, and he used to do like the reach way up. And oh, I yes. swear to God, I think his feet came off the ground, and it looked like his <laughs> hand was almost trying to like undo one of the bulbs of the lights of the stadium. <laughs> and I actually remember cheering. I was so pumped. Like, I just I love that. I love when and you see guys that are just in the zone and and just so comfortable and really feeling themselves. It was. Uh, I distinctly remember that about him. He was he had a really good game, and and you could tell he was having a great time. I think he was, and I've had my experience with Miles growing up, and he was one of my mentors. I've worked lots of games with him, and he definitely does that reach back, and he pulls. I don't know how he had a rotator cuff by the end of that game. I don't think he punched a lot of guys. He came off the ground. I think his feet actually came off the ground on one of both of them. Like he was in the air. It was fantastic. I couldn't have been happier. I think I clapped and cheered. Oh, yeah. And that's the best thing about that. That 15U championship, I will say, I've been to a couple. They are fun. The parents are there. Usually every other team comes back to that championship game. They are just fun to be part of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, the passion that those kids have is just, it makes it so much fun. And, and, you know, they're all just there for the right reason, right? They're still playing the game because they love it, playing the game with their buddies. You know, it's it's uh, it, it's it was a great time. I, like, I I had an absolute blast of that term. And I think I got to put a plug in for it because we talked about how structured the game is. But I'm under the impression up until maybe this year when we were there a couple years ago, it used to be club championship teams. So it was all club teams. Now they're starting to get into specialization and that stuff. But I know the years when I played in New Brunswick, you won the provincial championship or the elimination tournament. You win. Yeah, so, you know what? I think that year was half and half because I know right. like the Ontario wasn't a club, BC was like it was it was about half and half, and then yeah, I think it was right after that maybe in the next year they were kind of all going towards the the selects model or or whatever you want to call it. But I love the club team idea, oh, yes. man. I mean, you pick up a couple guys, you know, so everyone's got some fresh arms, and you go with the guys you played with all summer. I I think that's tough to beat. 
Oh, and you, you can't beat it. I will tell you, you can't beat it. Never been a part of one of those teams, but I think those are the memories that travel with you forever, too. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Blaze, where was your second national championship? So then my, uh, my, my second national championship was last year, and again, uh, with my host here on the podcast uh dude canada <laughs> cup in regina i was uh i was very excited to get you know that one because it's the age group i really enjoy doing and i had a tremendous crew it was you know daryl beckett from manitoba and and stephen clark from the maritimes you know we just had an absolutely great time the whole time we were there you know same with you guys you had you had a good crew it's, it's it seemed like the the large crew in general was yeah it was you know, there was nobody you know there's nobody who was uh kind of an outcast or a pain in the ass or everything everybody you know, got along and, you know, we had a great tournament. Like I went in and talking to them, I was, I was honored to get chosen to be a crew chief for that. And, and in talking to, to Becky and to, to Clarky going in, I kind of told them both, like, I don't know, you know, what your guys' goals are, but my goal is that our crew, you know, by the end of it, I don't know how we're going to start out by the end of it. I want to be the best crew there. And, and I think we improved, you know, every single game. Um, and I think it showed everybody got some pretty legit assignments come playoff day. And we had just a blast off the field too. Like it was, uh, it was just nothing but laughs. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, just that the whole week, it seemed like everybody, you know, everybody had a good time. Everybody, uh, everybody got along and tremendous supervisors, you know, Rob Allen and, and Steve Butang and Scotty Mills from Saskatchewan, uh, Ashton Liskey, who's hilarious. Like yes. <laughs> you want to talk about someone who, you know, kind of just laid back to let you do your thing, but to kind of fill you in with you make mistakes. He's tremendous at that. They just put you at ease, man. Like you just didn't, we didn't feel pressure. We didn't feel like we had any supervisors breathing down our neck. It was right. They kept saying, there's a reason you're here. Now go out and prove it. I had a great time there. It was it was uh, more than expected. Yeah, and that's the nice thing about that 17U. There is a lot of competitiveness. There's a lot of skill. It's that next step before they really get to that next step in their career. Now, you say you're with Daryl Beckett and Steve Clark on your crew. First thing, I'm going to brag. I think push the red button crew was the best, but that's just my personal opinion. You guys were solid, man. You guys, but you guys kind of had that going in. You guys had some of the big names, and uh, you know, names. like I said, I, I think our my goal was just to just get better. And, that's all. Uh, that's all we're there for. That's what all of us yeah. are there for, right? Yeah, I know you guys had a great. You guys had a great too. You had a good time. I, I'm, I'm part of a lot with Sean. I'm yeah, sorry to hear about uh, that. Was it? Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> I know. It's had its ups and downs, but he's come a long way. I think. Yeah. And I worked a ton with him last year, and I thought he had just an absolutely tremendous season. I was so happy to see him do well at Cup because uh, you know he's had some ups and downs as an umpire. You know, kind of since I've known him and. Uh, I probably did a dozen games with them last year and, you know, between the West Coast League and going to cop, you know, the GFI and, and I thought that he had just a tremendous season. So I was, I was, I was pretty happy at, uh, at how he finished off at the cup. And that's fair. And I think you used to talk about ups and downs with some umpires. It's just like playing. Sometimes you're just seeing the ball well and other times you just, you're not. I think we all go through that as umpires, but you're on a crew with Stephen Clark and Daryl Beckett. I thought that was a three umpire crew. You could put those two guys on each other's shoulders, and it was still wouldn't even equal your size. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were a little bit vertically challenged yes. in some areas, but you know, they, we made up for it. They, we had we found ways. I mean, there's some pretty good pictures actually. Like I, I got a couple of pretty good pictures. I was, in, I've had some people look at them and go, "Will you are you you know umpiring at like a with some youth umpires or why why are these guys so short?" But you know, what they lack in size, they make up for in, in ability and heart. I love those two men. We had, like I said, pretty much from. The, the time we got there and until we were done, we got, I had a great time with him. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. And that's what it's all about. Okay, Blaze, let's move on, have a little bit of fun, okay? We're going to move into 10 questions, okay? This is a fan favorite, so you got to go through with it. If Ron Suchuk has to do it, you got to do it. Fair enough. So, if I like your answer, 
And if I disagree with it, let's have some fun, okay? All right. Okay, let's go back to your playing days. You're a catcher. It's 3-2, two, two out, bases loaded, bottom of the ninth, and your team is up by one. What pitch are you calling? Whatever pitch I, this is, I think is the pitcher's best pitch. Right now, you, you can't say it now. It's got to be the best pitch that uh, the guy on the mound can throw. You got to give him the confidence, do you? Yeah, absolutely. Got to go with what brought him. Now, we talked 91, you're way back. Evolution of catcher's mask. But as a catcher, were you a traditional versus a hockey-style mask? You know, early 90s, eventually Charlie O'Brien comes out with the hockey-style mask. What's your mask of choice? No, old school, man. Skull cap and mask. Can't beat it. Did you wear Absolutely your not. did you wear your skull cap forward or backwards? Because the new thing now is wearing it forwards too for catchers. Yeah, what have you seen Bull Durham? Which way to crash wear it? There's only one way, right? Absolutely. Now, talking umpiring in masks, what's your thought on some of the umpires going to the skull cap? You know, I think it's the same thing as whatever you're comfortable with. I actually ordered one this past winter. Um, I think just I, I had a couple of close calls with concussions, and uh, so I, I wanted to give it a shot. Unfortunately, I haven't got to try it out yet. But you know, I, I don't think I could do the full hockey thing. But you know, I think if a skull cap, uh, if you can make it happen, it, it gives you just that little bit more protection. I think it's worth a shot. I think it's all personal preference, but when you put safety above everything else, you can't really argue with an individual. Now let's talk umpiring. Being a former catcher, tell us, how do you work with catchers? What's a tip that you have to settle down that crazy catcher? Not so much calm down. I think it's just more like it's, it, that's just not going to fly, man. Like I, if, anything that you're thinking that you can say or do, like I've heard it, you're not going to sway me one way or the other. And, and if you're going to, you know, jump up and down and hold your breath and throw a tantrum, you're just going to drive yourself crazy because I'm not going to put up with it. I think there's a thin red line that we have to go with, but not putting up with it is really important. But it is important to have that relationship. Do you ever catch yourself going, oh, man, like, I've been there. Like, I just want to tell you how to catch. <laughs> now, you know, there's. I'm not going to lie. There's been times where you, you try not to coach, but you try and just tell them, look, you, you can't keep dropping that pitch. You can't keep right. dropping, you know, your hand on that when you're receiving that. You're just not going to get it. If you stick it, I'll give it to you. And I'm pretty honest with them. Let's say, hey, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to – I don't think it's coaching. I, I think it's more like helping them succeed. And, and I don't play favorites. I'll do it for any of them. But right. yeah, no, I think it's more, it's, it's more just kind of help you help me kind of thing. Oh, no question. And I think we've all been there where you get a catcher that might start questioning thing. It's like, buddy, you're pulling it on me. If you just leave it, let me call it and see if that works. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We've all been there and I'm sure we'll all be there again someday when this whole fiasco is all over. Pre-game. Do you have any specific routines? I like to have music. I like to have music in the in the locker room. Yeah, obviously, you kind of got to talk to whoever's on the plate, and if they want it quiet, then I'll tone it down. But otherwise, I kind of like to have the music going and uh, and just have a good time and, and relax. When I'm on the plate, I'm a little bit different. I, I've got kind of a couple songs that I need to listen to um, right as I'm kind of putting my stuff on at the last minute. And I, I like those kind of, say, you know, seven to ten minutes right before of, of a couple of specific songs that – Kind of get my head right. Might be a little loud for some, but it uh, it works for me. So I, 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 you know, not afraid to crank it on and get ready for the game. I'm very, it's very different when I'm on the plate compared to when I'm on the bases. I'm sure it's a bunch of Michael Bublé. What is it? <laughs> no, it's a lot of country. It's a lot of country. Not gonna lie, but the last usually last couple songs before I go out, Eric Church or or Metallica. Sometimes depending on the mood, but generally Eric Church, The Outsiders will be what I hear right before I take the plate. 
not a bad tune, and you got a little Mariano Rivera in there, so that's yeah, yeah. baseball. Now, we've already talked about it, so you might have stole one of my questions, but outside of baseball and sports in general, what's What's a hobby of yours? Yeah, I do a lot of hiking. I got uh, I got two big dogs. Uh, I love the outdoors, and you know now I found um, you know mountain biking and golf during COVID. But I also played a lot of football. Not so much anymore, but I've gone to a bunch of different tournaments all through North America. Really, actually been to the World Police Fire Games twice. Played football, which is oh, wow. it's quite a, quite an experience. Second largest sporting event in the world to get to go and represent Canada at uh, the games in New York was a tremendous experience. So just try to stay active, man. Try to keep the competitive juices flowing because I'd be pretty miserable if I didn't get to get out and compete on a pretty regular basis. Well, when you live in BC, it's not hard to get to the outdoors. I don't think. No. No, no, no. And then it's pretty much ski all winter. I'll get about 50 days in on the mountain. So now you mentioned you're a mountain biker. What kind of mountain bike do you have? Uh, it's a giant, giant fathom. What kind? Sorry, I hit with the bell too early. Uh, giant fathom. I actually ended up okay. buying a, uh, a hybrid bike this year when I was recovering from surgery. And it's, uh, it's an absolute game changer. I couldn't agree more with you, Blaze, in regards to mountain biking. I think it's a fantastic physical exercise with low impact. Does a lot of good for the cardiovascular system and keeping us umpires in shape and focused. I have a lot of experience in the mountain bike world. I have a giant trans advance. So it's something I really enjoy doing and I'd advocate for anybody to do it. Oh, dude, it's it's so much fun. And it's it really is kind of, uh, it was like I said, it's, it's been the biggest key for me to get uh, to get healthy again and get back into shape. And, and I'm probably in better shape now than I was before surgery. So oh. I think it's been a big part of it. Okay, let's go back to the cup. There was a little bit of country music that weekend with Garth Brooks in town. But tell us, what is your favorite Garth Brooks song? Colin Baton Rouge. I spent last night in the arms of a girl from Louisiana. Or, or Regina, I guess, depending on what night of cup it was. I'm not. <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> how many provinces have you umpired or played in? Pretty easy to count how many I haven't. So I've only been to the Maritimes at one time. So just the other three Maritime provinces I've played. Uh, I haven't umpired in many of them, but I played in all of them except for New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and Newfoundland. You're missing New Brunswick. That's the big one. You I haven't. You haven't. Yeah, you haven't played there. Until you play in New Brunswick, you really haven't played in Canada. That's the rules. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Now, I'm I don't okay. want to correct you. I don't like to correct the guests too much, but just for the record, there's only three maritime provinces New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and PEI. Newfoundland is an Atlantic province, but it's not considered a part of the core Maritimes. Oh, really? That's a true story. Check no, it out on Wikipedia. And if it's not there, I'll go back and change it later tonight. So when it's right, when you go check it. Does that explain the extra half hour thing? Yeah, they do their own thing. That was before Confederation <laughs> when they were the Dominion of Newfoundland. They are a time zone that's right on the middle. So they decided they were going to stick to the mid-half hour. There's been lots of time over the years where they've tried to change it, but the Newfoundland people just want to do it, and that's how it's going to be because they're from Newfoundland. So half an hour difference. All right. Okay, let's go back to your bad guy days. You ever end up in a tussle maybe on or off the field? <laughs> yep. The year that uh, our Canada Games team, so the games are in Canvas, but we played in the uh, the international tournament, the money tournament there as a tune-up. The very first game of the tournament was the Thursday afternoon, and so they actually played the anthem. So there's not that many people there yet, but you know, my dad is kind of right up above our dugout, right in the bleachers. And I guess during the anthem, there was a, a couple of fellows that didn't stand, didn't take off their their headgear, so to speak. My dad and my uncle had some words with them, and I didn't really hear any of it. And then as soon as the anthem started, you know, we we'd been on the baseline, the third baseline, and I come off and I hear this ruckus, and I look up and I see this guy. You know, my dad's probably late sixties at the time, and I see this guy kind of 
push my dad to the ground. So at that time, you know, old Norbrock Stadium before the before the renovations, the, there was stairs right behind the dugout to go up there. So the next thing you know, I'm flying up the stairs and, and uh, you know, this guy's kind of standing over my dad and there's, I, uh, I removed him from his vertical position and, <laughs> and, uh, and dealt with his friend and then went back down to, <laughs> to, to resume the game. I'll probably never forget the look on our manager's face. Uh, Henry Summers was his name and I was, I was hitting third. So I kind of came back around the corner and I, we were hitting in the top of the first. So I went and grabbed my bat and put my helmet on and, and got ready to hit <laughs> like it was nothing. And <laughs> I have no idea how I didn't get tossed. I mean, like I really have no idea how I didn't get tossed for that. But yeah, it was kind of one of those moments where <laughs> probably shouldn't have done it. But you know, you see someone um, smack your dad, you, you, yeah. you got to take action. Oh, no question. We'll have to talk to that GFI tournament coordinator and see what the long-term suspension could be. <laughs> no, it was, it was Kevin. It was the oh, Kevin. one. Sorry, okay. Yeah. Harder to get into the bleachers at the GFI, so I, I wouldn't have pulled it off there. Okay, Blaze, that concludes hand questions. Now, the next part of the show is what we call local legends. That's where you really send a shout out to the people that have helped mentor you or those that give back to your community in grassroots baseball. Do you have a local legend? Uh, yeah, like I said, I mentioned uh, Darcy Rice earlier. He was kind of a, a one-man driving show in Kelowna here where there's a lot of baseball, but there wasn't a lot of senior umpires when I first started. And, you know, the guy was you know at the field pretty much all the time and and, and building the program up. Um, and then another fellow who works with him, who's not a national umpire by the name of, of Chuck Abney, who... You know, he, he he didn't really have any aspirations to you know to climb the ladder and do the national program stuff. But you want to talk about someone who was incredible at uh, teaching the basics, uh, incredible with kids. I still try to get him to come out just to do a couple clinics a year, or even to come and just do some pee wee tournaments just to work with these young guys. Just because uh, he's a he's a tremendous teacher, and you know he might not be somebody who's going to go and umpire a PBL game or a collegiate game, but when it comes to the grassroots, he's he was he's excellent at that, and he's great with the kids. You know, he's someone when I first started out, just on, you know, learning the two-man and, and just learning, um, you know, the very, very basics of the game. You know, as an umpire, he was he was also someone that was very helpful. You know, and then I think just in BC, we just have so many guys, and I think I've listed them all off. Also, some of the work that I do with the Collegiate League out here, I work uh, with Mitch Ball out of Alberta, oh. and he's he's been a tremendous source, too. Like, he's just such a great guy. No Incredible umpire, you know, and is always willing to help. You ever got a question, you call him. You ever got an issue, you call him. You know, so he's someone I've really enjoyed working with as well. Blaze, that's what it's all about. It's all about getting out and doing some baseball, working hard, and having fun. You mentioned that some people didn't want to get into the national program. I think this should be a plug now for the non-national program umpires because you don't have to be involved with the Baseball Canada national program to be a good umpire. Sometimes it's time commitment, and it's just maybe not something you want to do because the best umpire at Division One might not be able to do that local 18U game. The game's just different. So to all those people who want to umpire but don't necessarily want to be part of the Baseball Canada National Program, don't let that scare you. Get out there, do games, and work as hard as you can because you're a valued umpire. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, you know, and it's uh, it's it's something that I think, I don't know what it's like everywhere else, but here we, we seem to have a lot of really talented young guys coming up, you know, guys and girls, and and I think that just speaks to the program that, you know, Steve and Rhonda have built and, and the mentorship program that we have in place where, you know, they do everything they can to put people in place to succeed. You know, I think it's it's really starting to show. It's really starting to show, and we've got some exciting young umpires coming up that I'm looking forward to kind of seeing get onto the, uh, onto the baseball Canada map. And just talking around the national circuit, it sounds like the BC program has a fantastic umpire program, a mentorship program, and they are going to be a force to be reckoned with. And it's come from people like Steve Boutang and Rhonda Pauls and 
and Darcy Rice who have built it. So you guys are doing something good. And I said it before and I'll say it again. I think BC has a force to be reckoned with. So to all the other provinces, heads up, BC is coming for you. I hope so, man. I hope so. There's, there's tremendous umpires all across the country, but I'm, I'm very proud of what, uh, what we're doing out here. And, and, and like I said, I look forward to, to being part of it and to, to keep it going and to hopefully, you know, be an influence on some of these young guys. Blaze, that essentially wraps up this episode of The Leading Edge. As always, I want to thank you for coming on and giving us your time and sharing us with some of those fantastic stories that you have. I'm sure our listeners are going to appreciate it. Now, before we go, I typically just turn the mic over to you and let you lead off into the sunset with some wise words of wisdom. You know, first of all, thanks for having me. I, I, I love what you're doing with the podcast. I'm a big podcast guy. Thank you. Um, and, you know, to, to hear something like this that I can relate to and, and hear um, from other umpires across the country, I think is, is a tremendous source for everybody. If I had to give any words of wisdom, um, it's something that I want to bring to these young umpires coming up is to really encourage these kids there's something that I do, so I'm not saying everyone else should do it, but something that I do is to really encourage these kids when you're out there, be an athlete, treat it like you're playing. Let's, let's work on, you know, being more athletic, get in better shape, work on your footwork, you know, and I think if you, if we can build that base to where people just have better footwork in general, like footwork drills in general, then once you start learning how Baseball Canada wants you to do it and, and position and move, you're going to be a step ahead of the game. This is just something that I always tell the young guys, man, just go out there and, and be athletic. Don't, don't be a robot. Don't do anything like that. Go be an athlete. And, and then do, as part of the Baseball Canada program, we're going to teach you the you know, we're going to refine you, but go move around, use your feet, use your ability. And uh, I think it's important and something that I really have young guys focus on. That concludes this episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Join us on the next episode where we bring on an umpire who umpires in La Ligue du Baseball Junior Elite du Québec, an umpire who's been to over 14 Baseball Canada National Championships, including Tournament 12, and an individual who works in the Baseball Canada Umpire social media platform, Philippe Lamoureux. Now, before you go, we would like to leave you with this. Catcher's interference is called when the catcher physically hinders the batter's opportunity to legally swing at a pitch ball. But what happens when the catcher hinders the on-deck batter? Take care, everybody, and stay safe.